Welcome to the Queen Trail Podcast. There are three different types of radiation, alpha, beta, and gamma. What does this technology do? It's like, well, what can you do with electricity? I just survived 30 years HIV positive. I'm certainly not going to let a little thing like a brain tumor derail me. When I got to 29 pounds, I was so tired, I just collapsed. Everything always goes back to being grounded and centered. It's a mecca for cycling, for sure. Struggle is the neutralizing force. And I said, there it is. This is the right family. I'm, I got like cold chills. It's one lone oak tree right in the middle of the trail. It's beautiful. Hey everybody, welcome back to the continuation of my talk with Stephen J. Morris, co-founder of the band Benedict Arnold and the Traders, political commentator and music aficionado. He is a product of what is arguably one of the most tumultuous times in America. He's also a proud self-proclaimed boomer with his own podcast that's called The Late Boomer. And through all of these experiences, he's found that life is beautiful despite its challenges. In part one, we covered the key events of the 50s, 60s, and 70s, which influenced his music, writings, and his creative expression. And the commentary puts you right at the heart of that era as experienced in Los Angeles. In this episode, we dive into his musical journey through three bands and get a taste of the depth of his musical understanding, which you can find more of on his Facebook page, Adventures in Garage Land. You're also going to hear about how he met his wonderful wife, Pamela, and a whole lot more. So let's get right into it. Please grab a cuppa and join Stephen and me in this second part of our In the Company of Friends conversation. Do you want to know about my band? Yes, yes. I know you're a founding member, co-founder of Benedict Arnold and the Traders, which was kind of like an experimental punk band. How did that get started? Actually, it was supposed to be a punk band. Okay. But we got two musicians. One was a country uh, musician. The other one was a blues musician. And to get them to play uh, alien music was really creative. Because <laughs> they never played music like that. But I'll tell you how it all started. I was the regional director of Rock Against Racism, which was an organization from England. Now, you ask what it was? Mm-hmm. Uh, Eric Clapton, 1978 said a very racist thing on uh, stage. Essentially what he said, we should get all the Pakistanis out of England and send them back. Oh my God. He said this during a concert and the people were pissed off. And so they decided to do an organization called Rock Against Racism. And they used to have free concerts. The Clash used to play. I mean, all sorts of bands. I love The Clash. Yeah. Excellent. I, I mean, truly excellent inspired musicians. Truly Cockney working class. So uh, I was turned on by this. I, I bought an album by Tom Robinson called Light in the Darkness. And it had the Rock Against Racism logo. So I wrote the, gave you an address and I wrote to it. And they sent me a newspaper. And I started my own chapter in Los Angeles in 1979. I even had a concert at MacArthur Park. Free concert. Oh, wow. Yeah, free concert. 500 people showed up. Wow, nice. Yeah. 
It's a good showing. It was going really well until the cops came up. The chief says, you'll have to shut it down, son. I said, why? Your permit says only till 3 o'clock. And there was about 800 people going, more, more, more. I had to shut it down, which was the hardest thing I ever had to do. Wow. I thought we were going to have a riot or something. So anyway, that organization went on. And uh, I decided that we should start a band that represents Rock Against Racism. And we used to meet at Plumber Park in a room in a recreation center. One of the guys said, uh, I asked, what, what am I going to name my band? And then he was telling me about Batman. Remember that show, Batman? Do, 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 mm-hmm. do, do, do. They had a fictional band on it called Benedict Arnold and the Traitors. The whole band. Oh my gosh, really? Yeah. So we just. This is the one that would come on every day. Yeah. Like after school. Right. So they had a band called Benedict Arnold, and, and the whole purpose of the band was to brainwash kids into crime. So I said, <laughs> oh my God, that's hilarious. That's where we got the name. Then I did some research years later. There was a band in 65 called Benedict Arnold and the Traders. They were a surf band from Brooklyn. So uh, we went on, and 1979, uh, there was a hostage situation. A couple students, Iranian students, took some American diplomats and held them hostage. And uh, all of a sudden, on the radio, the rock stations were all these novelty songs. Like, they took, they would take songs and change the words to them, like, Barbara Ann by the Beach Boys. They changed it to bomb, 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 Iran. Mm. And uh, then on the campuses, students were attacking Iranian students. That was it for me. That was pure racism. So I took my notebook and wrote a song called Fuck the Hostages. And uh, it stayed. It stayed in my notebook for a year. And then I introduced it to the band. And I had to change it to Kill the Hostages. And the song did really well in the underground. The first uh, station it did it was KPFK at midnight. The second was Rodney on the Rock. He played it. And uh, before I know it, the whole country was hearing it. That's what I'm going to be known for for the rest of my life, was that song. I even got reviewed in the Yippie paper, a big one-page review. Wow. But then we put out our second EP, and I used to send it to these punk zines, fanzines, and the first the first review, the name of the EP was No More Heroes or Gods. The first thing the critic says, disappointment, because we were experimenting with other type of music. I did a ska song called White Boy Singing Ska. They didn't like it. So then... Uh, that was the end of the Traders. Hmm. A lot of adventure. Did you have a lot of concerts? The best one we ever did was in Pomona. We went to this youth center and we were playing in this, I don't know, it was a, it looked like one of those places where they used to sell plumbing supplies. That's how big it was. So we, uh, we started to play and all of a sudden a shower spit comes on us. We were getting spat on. I'm surprised I didn't get a disease after that. Oh, my. And then uh, the slam dancing. But there was only 65 kids there. <laughs> now, were they spitting on you on because me. they didn't like you? Or no, was that a thing? That was a was thing. that like, instead of clapping, you spit? Yeah, that was a punk thing. <laughs> That's so gross. It is. I had to take oh a shower. Oh, my gosh. 
then my guitar player was drunk and I had a, he was driving me home. Oh my gosh. And you know, oh. I'm not a big uh, believer in God, but I was praying that I get home all right. Yeah. <laughs> all the Christians come out in the foxholes, right? Yeah. Or something like that. Everybody in a foxhole's a Christian. <laughs> um yeah. <laughs> Did you play any like multi group concerts, like, you know, a festival or yes. anything like that? After the Traders disbanded in 82, we became the Antinomians. The Antinomians. And uh, that was a Christian sect in the 17th century who believed that they were anti government, but they think the only ruler of the world was God. So man's rules couldn't apply to them. So it was sort of like an anarchist uh, cult, mm-hmm. the antinomians. So we play, and nobody knew how to pronounce it. Nobody knew what, what that meant. Yeah, I'd never heard of that. <laughs> yeah, antinomians means against the law in Latin. So we we became the hundredth monkey. And I didn't choose that name, but that was, I kind of like that name. Is that was it a punk band as well? No, it was a, it was a neo psychedelic band, otherwise known as grunge. Grunge, the hundredth monkey. Yeah, yeah, I like that better because I'm thinking antinomians, and I'm thinking nomenclature, something like anti name. A yeah. hundredth monkey. There's a more logical connection to it for more people, right? Yeah. I have a story about the antinomies. We went to Pomona again, and we were playing. I grew out my hair because after watching Black Flag, they grew their hair long. So I decided to grow my hair long. And we looked like bikers. We looked like bikers. (laughs) So we played, and all these skinheads show up. And they're giving me the finger, and they, fuck you, kick your fucking ass, you fucking white hippie. So I was yelling back at him. Oh, no. (laughs) And my bass player came, and he stood by me to protect me. You know who that bass player was? Who? Pamela's brother. Oh, wow. He was very protective over me. (laughs) Oh. That's how I met Pamela, by the way. Uh, Anyway. Wow, really? Yeah, he was... So would she come to your concerts? Yeah, I... I first met her in the Hundred Monkey when we played uh, the Ice House in Pasadena. Uh huh. So yeah, I really loved that band because we could have freedom, creative freedom. That was the experimental band, and I never knew that we were doing grunge. <laughs> I never knew that. Wow. Yeah. So I know you recently. Speaking of grunge, you recently posted about the Doors being the original grunge band, or the- uh, goth, goth. Yeah, if you heard their first album, it sounds very negative. It's just dark. It's a dark album. Yeah, I think they had a lot. Even their more popular songs had a very deep, bassy kind of morose sound to it they, that they never really got away from yeah yeah but uh the soft parade they tried to go commercial there ah, i saw the doors rehearse too mm-hmm. when i was going to fairfax High, i used to get these jobs temporary jobs and i was going down santa monica and i came across this building and i looked and i heard this music playing and i looked in and there was 
Ray Mazurik sitting there and the rest of the doors. I go, whoa. Jim wasn't there. Then above me, the door opened on the staircase. It was Jim Morrison. Wow. He looked at me, smiled, then went back in his room. <laughs> wow. I still have that picture in my mind. See? That's cool. Yeah, well, I mean, local band right during that time period where, you know, they were transitioning to become really big. Were they big at that time yet? Yes, they were. They were. A lot of people, after they put out that soft parade album, people were saying, sell out. Yeah, everybody was a critic. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's unfortunate. I mean, there are some bands, you know, it's funny because I have this very long story that I'm not going to share right now, but I purchased on a joke, my friend and I purchased tickets to go see an artist that I would never see. And so I told Sophie, you know, we're getting really close to this concert because we we got these tickets for her 90 year old mom. We thought it would be hilarious. And um, Sophie and I started listening to this artist's music and it was awful. I just, I, I go, Sophie, I don't think I can sit through two hours or an hour and a half, whatever it might be of this person's music. I thought it was listenable and it's just clearly other people like it. And so I'm not going to mention who it is right now, but I hated it. Hated it. <laughs> hurt my ears. <laughs> It hurt my ears. So I ran into my girlfriend the other day and I said, have you listened to this person? And she goes, oh, I had to shut it off or I was going to talk myself out of going to the concert and I didn't want to do that to my mom. And then we started talking about this 90 year old lady going to this crazy concert. And so we just sold the tickets. I put them back up for resale and I was really happy to, to sell them. But Yeah, you know, I mean, here I am being a critic. And, you know, it's kind of like my friend who is a sommelier. He's, you know, certified as a sommelier. And I called him up one day because I saw some new new wine that I wanted to taste. And he said, Sil, here's the thing. If it tastes good to you, it's the right wine. And I think it's kind of the same thing with music. If it sounds good to you, it's the right music. Um, but people do want to be critical of things that don't sound right to them or don't taste right to them. That's an interesting observation because every music I love now, I hated it at first. The Ramones. Mm-hmm. I bought their first album and I was pissed off. Really? Where's the leak? What? What is this shit? <laughs> Little did I know <laughs> that I would love it. And I use the same chord progressions. Wow, really? But, yeah, I couldn't stand the Sex Pistols. Now I love them. Uh, I think there's a lot of bands I have love at first sight. There was, like the Rolling Stones. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. And they've lasted through the years, the Rolling Stones. You yeah. know, their music still sounds good. It didn't age like, you know, again, going back to the Doors. When I hear the Doors, I hear 1960s. That's right. Um You know, it doesn't have that currency value, that relevancy to it any longer. I mean, it's relevant in terms of if I want to get into a 1960s mood. But a lot of times when I have love at first sight or at first listen for a band, it peters out pretty quickly. You know, I I listen to the song maybe 10 or 12 times and that's it. I'm ready to move on. But I think 
there's some bands, like you said, with the Ramones and with the Sex Pistols that you don't like when you first hear. And then the understanding clicks in because there's perhaps a complexity level to that music Mm -hmm. that you didn't understand at first. And now you do. And so it stays with you and you actually kind of grow the, the love of that band over time. That's right. Everybody's different. You know, I hate to mm-hmm. use that cliche, but it's true. That makes you a unique person. Exactly. What about George Benton? Do you know who he is? No, I'll tell I don't you. think so. I'll tell okay. you. <laughs> he was a soul singer. He had two uh, two hits. Knock, I'm gonna knock, knock on wood. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You ever heard that song? It was a soul hit. Oh, KGFJ. That's it. That's the soul station. KGFJ. Yeah. That all And that was an AM station, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> It turned out all the DJs were white. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Well, you know, that was the thing with that time period, too. And I think that's why there's so much push for diversity, because everything was, it was very white-based, and it was that white base that was presenting other cultures through a particular lens And so, you know, thank God for diversification, because you're getting better quality, more in-depth understanding of that culture and um, new music that would you would not because it ended up being the same songs, right? Uh, Just it was same song after song after song, you get some diversity, and you get some exposure to more variety that you otherwise wouldn't have heard. Correcto mundo. Yeah. Uh, George Benton was a soul singer. He had two top hits. He's from San Pedro. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I didn't know that. You know, I think Ambrosia yeah. was also a San Pedro band. Yeah. Uh, the Minutemen? How'd you feel about them? The Minutemen. Mm. I thought they were okay. You know, I had a very um, superficial relationship with punk. I thought it was... They weren't a punk band. They were a post-funk band. They were not punk. I don't know why people call them. No. They used jazz, modern jazz chords. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're funk. If you listen to them, they never sang a punk song. They hung around with the crowd. Mm-hmm. They were on the SST, but they were not a punk band. Maybe that's why I connect them with that. And that's, you know, where I was going is that I didn't really listen to them. I like punk more now, kind of the same thing as you with the Ramones and yeah. the other bands. But back in the day, I really went the metal route was as hard as I got because oh, yeah. I felt like punk was very abrasive and very angry. And, you know, punk has a very masculine um, persona to it. I mean, it's just very aggressive and I couldn't connect with that. I had a really hard time connecting with that. And now when I listen to the lyrics, I can connect more with it because I know where it's coming from and it gives me some insight into that anger and what was being expressed at the time. And, you know, things that are non-PC, you know, that are important 
to acknowledge because they are the pressures that bands were expressing in a, and expressing in collective for their fan base that they weren't able to stay at home. You know, mom, I got beat up by a gang and it's like, no, I just, I got attacked by a dog. Yeah. And so your requirements to heal fully from that were not being met because you weren't able to talk about what actually happened, you know? And so these punk songs, and, and you know, and that's just like pointing out a specific event, but I think a lot of people had and continue to have that where they're getting beat up in one sense or another, but they come up and go, I'm fine. It wasn't anything major. And they're pushing back these feelings yeah. and needs that they have, and they're not being healed. You know, so it comes out in the music. Yeah, of course. Because it's coming from white people. And they were taught, especially white males, to be stoic. It's to not to show any emotions or fears. Just suppress it and move on. That's what I was taught. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's bad. It's bad. And I rebelled against that. Yeah, and in a very... Um active way too so you were getting it out energetically you were getting it out creatively yeah um and people were connecting with what you were saying absolutely uh so the reason i brought up san pedro is because that was one of the reasons we moved there because it has a very bohemian history it's the mini san francisco and a lot of things a lot of poets Every time I went to the bathroom in San Pedro, I would look out the window. There's the hospital, Little Company of Merit. That's where Charles Bukowski died. Charles Bukowski was a novelist. You ever, uh, are you familiar yeah, with him? Absolutely. He was a degenerate, but he made an art out of it. And he's sort of like, he was a sympathetic character, even though he was a degenerate. Mm -hmm. And uh, he influenced me, too. So did you ever meet him? No, no, because no. he didn't, uh, I don't know. I was afraid of him. Well, he was a scare. I mean, he spent a lot of his time being drunk, you right? You met him? No, I did not meet him. But, you know, I know of him. I know he's actually got a gravesite at Green Hills Cemetery. I know, I know that place. <laughs> I was a gardener by trade. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yes, I remember that. Yeah. So there's a lot to unpackage with me. I'm just giving the highlights. So you asked here how Pam and I met. Do you want to hear that story? Yes, I do. Okay. In 1971, I was in school and PE, and the teacher didn't feel like teaching that day. So he had to sit in the bleachers. All of a sudden, here comes this guy with a guitar and this guy next to him. And I went up there and listened to him. He was playing his own original material. Next to him was his friend, Pat Amadeo. <laughs> that was that was Pamela's brother. Mm-hmm. Okay. I was just thinking that last name sounds familiar. Yeah. Okay. So years later, 11 years later, we're auditioning for a new bass player. And guess who shows up? Pat. Aww. So we, uh, he was in the band. Yeah, he was good. But he, he hung around a bunch of degenerates, reprobates, because he never had a father. His father passed away before he grew up. So one day he was ill. And here comes this radiant, beautiful woman. Her name was Pamela. 
she brought him hot soup. And I, I met her in the kitchen. I started to talk to her and talk to her. Finally, we started to date. The first time I went to her house, I was driving in my car. On the radio came the Hermit's Hermit's. Looks like I'm into something really good. And... <laughs> And it was wow. applicable. It was applicable. Yeah. So that's how the whole thing grew. Now you asked if we had a festival. Yes, we did. We had the smoke in July fourth. That's when the yippies come and smoke pot in public. And uh, we opened up for Black Flag and Pamela. Oh my gosh. There. Yeah. I sung with them. Did sung, you? Yeah. For one song. Rise above. We're gonna rise above. Anyway. <laughs> And where was the concert? Which park? Uh, it was uh, the Federal Building in West Los Angeles. That place always has protest. Yeah. So she came and uh, she came to my other concert too. I was giving a folk concert in Echo Park. I was giving a concert. Oh, and yeah. she showed up. She asked if I wanted to have coffee with her after the concert. But that day, my astrology it said, you will meet somebody you'll fall in love with. I swear to God, wow. I can't, I don't know where I put it, and it happened. Did you frame that? That's... I don't know where it is. I don't know where it is. You will have a secret admirer, and she was. So I didn't go because I had to go to work the next day. Mm. But then we, we got together. Finally, she told me inadvertently she was in love with me. I said, what? <laughs> Here we are. This was a surprise to you, huh? Yeah, because <laughs> I was having bad relationships with women, one after another. And they were Jewish, mm -hmm. like me. Mm -hmm. So I got a nice little Catholic girl, happy with that. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love that. And were you in love with her? I mean, like, just head over heels for her at that time and just not telling her? Actually, when I first met her, it was sexual. Mm -hmm. I was lucky. <laughs> she was so cute. <laughs> She's foxy. And uh, I fell in love. Aww. Hey, what are you? You listening? <laughs> and she still has that foxy, sexy voice. Yes. Which is Absolutely. nice. And it's so warm. Yes. Yeah, mature. Mature woman. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like... Uh, the actress, Lauren Bacall. Oh, yeah. You know how to whistle, Steve? Just put your lips together and blow. Did you ever see that movie? I did. Is that the Maltese Falcon? No, no. the one before that. To have and have not. Okay, yes. Yeah. I, I think I've seen all of the Humphrey Bogart films and, you know, it's sad because I haven't seen all of the Lauren Bacall films. I don't know if they were all with Humphrey Bogart. They were married, right? Yeah. Yeah. The end. yeah. You know, you should see it on a big screen, on a 70 millimeter screen. Mm -hmm. It's a total different experience. It's not like a TV screen or even a flat screen. If you can see it on a big screen, it changes everything. Yeah, those nuances, definitely. It's a different experience. Yeah. So is the Fox Theater still open? The Fox Theater, where was that at? That was on 6th Street. No, the Warner Grand Theater is there. That's it. That's it. I'm sorry. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. Yeah, the Warren. 
Do you ever see a movie there? No, I've gone there for concerts and other events, but no, I haven't seen a movie there. If they ever have movies from the 40s and 30s, go check it out. Okay. It's quite an experience. Yeah, I will. Especially that beautiful Art Deco interior. Oh, I love Art Deco. Yeah, it's beautiful. Can I just go back to a couple of things? Um, you met Pam at that punk concert, and then you said a couple of weeks later you were playing folk music, which to most people seems just, you know, leagues apart between these two musical genres. And do you feel like they're much more connected, or what drew you to both of these different sounds back in 1965 khj uh they played different types of music they played country they played blues they played soul motown rock and roll and you you digest this you listen to i um i used to hate classical music really yeah then i heard the soundtrack to the good and bad and the ugly yeah and it was it was created by a composer named Ennio Marconi. Right. And I think he's the 20th century's Beethoven. So then I got into classical. I started listening. I love all music. All music. I, I, there's not music I don't like. I even like polka. Yeah, you know, there's some fun but, polka. <laughs> but uh, did you know that the Polish people in Texas taught the Mexicans how to play polka? And you know what it became? Mariachi music. Yeah, I did not know that. But I know that both cultures have accordions. And right. is that where the Mexicans learned their, how to play accordion? Was from, yeah. from the Poles in Texas. Right. Wow. How yeah. far back does that history go? That's amazing. The 20s. The 20s and really? teens. Yeah. Yeah, I... I do like a good mariachi song, and it's funny because when I was a kid, I didn't really get to choose a lot. It was my, <laughs> unfortunately, my mom, whatever I would do outside of the house, you know, like my hobbies were kind of chosen by my mom, and she would decide, oh, I'm going to enroll you in ballet classes or tumbling classes or whatever, which was fun. Or I'm going to enroll you in swimming classes, which was great. I ended up on the water polo team and the high dive team and the swim team. And you know, I was really good at it. I loved it. Um, but she also decided accordion playing lessons. And so here I was like this little seven-year-old kid with this enormous instrument. Probably way more than you. <laughs> Probably, yeah. I definitely, when I was holding that giant suitcase, that luggage thing that, you know, you put it in, I would walk sideways because it was so dang heavy and I hated it. I absolutely hated it. It was the most unfeminine instrument I thought at the time. And, you know, of course it was hot summertime and the bellows would pinch the top of my thighs and I didn't I didn't do that for very long, but I did play accordion for a very short time. <laughs> I think she thought I was gonna be some big accordion player in a mariachi band when I grew up or something. And you know, that just I'm not very musical. I have played the viola, played the piano, got pretty good at it. I have this beautiful upright grand in my house. And uh I learned I remember that. Yeah, do you remember that? Yeah. Um 
And I learned how to play one song on a ukulele, and I couldn't pick up an instrument. Despite all of that experience, I could not pick up an instrument and play you a song. I can't sing. (laughs) I'm just not musical. You never try. Look, if Bob Dylan could sing, anybody could sing. <laughs> That's true. He doesn't have um, he doesn't have the voice. Yes, right? perfect pitch. Once upon a time, he just so fan. Didn't you? He hits the he notes. He does. He does. And you know, I love his music. But you're right. He's like person who shouldn't sound good, but does. And uh, you know, I get that from like Eddie Vedder from Pearl Jam. And there's a lot of bands that I'll listen to. And I think these people shouldn't sound good, but they do. So you're right. You know, I think I just need the right band to be a part of, and then my voice will be okay. <laughs> Look, I can't sing, but I do. yeah but you hit your notes and you know um i hate my voice tell you the truth can't stand my voice i think most people do because we hear it differently inside of our heads when we're speaking so it's nothing you know it's what we've been hearing since we were born then you hear it recorded and it sounds completely different but most people hate the way that their voice sounds. And yeah, that's me. my response to that is if people are not running, screaming in the opposite direction, every time that you open your mouth, your voice lands right smack in the middle of normal and acceptable. And most people like the way that you sound. And, hmm. and I know I personally, I'll pick up little nuances in the way that people pronounce certain words or the uh, tone or the rise in volume of certain words as they speak. And I just think that's endearing. You know, I, I, I love listening to that. Mm. Yeah. So I think your voice great. sounds great. You're just being nice. <laughs> I'm not being nice. I'm serious. Oh, you know what I wanted to ask you, because you brought up the astrology. Do you follow astrology? Are you somebody who reads okay. it daily? <laughs> Funny you should mention that. Back in the 60s, early 70s, nobody knew anybody's name. They only knew them by their astrology sign. Really? Yes. I. Yeah, back then. I was into it. Back then. Not now. Mm. I don't believe in it. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask, what's yours? I, I would say is Sagittarius. No, close. I think Sagittarius is December. Mm-hmm. Um, Scorpio. Oh, that's Pat's brother's sign. Ah. Yeah, they're a bunch of sexual perverts. <laughs> that is you know, You know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I know. That's yeah. hilarious. There used to be, in the, when I used to do uh, street singing in Venice, there was a street comedian, and his name was Swami X. Swami X. Yeah, he was an old beatnik from the 50s. I mean, uh, when he was up there, he was already in his 60s, and he used to make jokes about astrology. Oh, yeah? And I thought that was hilarious, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, to be honest, every time I see a meme or read anything that pinpoints a Scorpio to the T, it's all wrong for the most part. You know, I don't. Yeah, because nobody really knows. No, I mean, you know, we're supposed to be like dark and morose. And, you know, of course I have my moments. Neil Young is a Scorpio. Is he a Scorpio? Yeah. 
I don't really agree with it. But I do like to read it just for fun. Whenever it says that something great is going to happen, or you're going to come into money, I kind of believe it a little bit more for that day, (laughs) because I'm hoping that it's true. And then, you know, maybe I find two pennies in a coat pocket or something. (laughs) I didn't take it seriously. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's funny. Um, Is there... Anything else that, I mean, like... I do have my own podcast. It's called The Late Boomer. Pamela made the logo. So just look for Late Boomer. Okay, I'll put a link of it in my show notes. Um, And since she just mentioned that Pamela made the logo, she did an album cover for you. So she's an artist in her own right. Yes, you should see her latest. Mm. She's just, she's great. I envy her. Yeah, she's very talented. Um, Do you have a philosophy on life? Yes. 1969, I said, life is occupying yourself until death. Do what you want. But I've changed that. It doesn't matter if you're here for a reason or not for a reason. Life is beautiful. Life is beautiful indeed. What an incredible journey. And Stephen will tell you that what he shared is only the tip of an iceberg that continues to expand every day. As always, I will include links in the show notes of everything that we talked about. Please continue to send me your questions and suggestions to help me design the episodes that most interest you. I'd love it if you took a second to rate this episode. Your rating moves this podcast closer to the top of searches so that my friends and I can reach more people. I'm looking forward to sharing more upcoming In the Company of Friends talks with you. So be sure to follow me on the socials and the dot com all at the Queen Trail Podcast. That's T-H-E-Q-U-A-I-N-T-R-E-L-L-E Podcast. I am Sil Annan, the Queen Trail, and until next time, I wish you passion, grace, adventure, great music to accompany your days, good friends, elegance, and beauty.